Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I serve on staff here at the church and I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. Here at Deeper Still, we're all about cutting through the chaotic and the mundane to pay attention to what God is doing, to hear His voice in our lives and to go deeper still in our relationship with Him and with one another. And as always, my friends, I'm so glad you're here. Today on Deeper Still, I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast, Tara Beth Leach, one of her pastors on staff here at Christchurch, as well as the author of Emboldened, A Vision for Women in Ministry, which we discussed during season one on episode nine. And I encourage you, if you did not get a chance to listen to that episode, go back and find it. We got so much great feedback on that, and I'd hate for you to miss it. Tara Beth is also the author of Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness, which is going to be the subject of our conversation today. Now, I'm excited about today's episode because I'm a firm believer that we have to find some safe spaces to dialogue about some of the more challenging topics in our culture today, to put some language and theology around them if we want to bring understanding and unity to the body of Christ. And that's what this conversation with Tara Beth is all about. It's about challenging our perspective. And fair warning, you might be challenged today. I know I was, but I believe it's worth it if it will help us set aside some of the polarizing noise in our culture and dig a little deeper, which is what we're all about here at Deeper Still, and to ask ourselves, what is the way of Jesus in all of this as we navigate life today? And how do we, as a body of believers, root ourselves more deeply in the story of Christ? And so my friends, that's where we're headed today. As always, no matter where you find yourself, just saddle up, settle in, Listen in as Tara, Beth, and I go deeper still. Well, Tara, Beth, welcome back to Deeper Still. It is so great to have you here with us today. Hey, Sue Ann. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad for the invitation. Uh, well, we're so glad uh, to have you back. And before, you know, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge from the top that you have had a difficult couple of weeks. Uh, we had mentioned this on the end of the last podcast, just asked our listeners to be praying for you and your family as you released your dad into heaven uh, just in these last um, several days. And so I just wanted to, on behalf of myself and our, our all of our listeners, to extend our deepest sympathies. And just to let you know, we've been praying for you and your family and just continue to pray for just the peace and the grace of God to wash over you. Thank you, Sue Ann. And you know, it's it's been exactly that. It's it's hard to believe it's been two weeks and two days um, mm. since we gathered around my dad and watched him enter into glory as he took his last breath. And it's still wild every morning. I still pick up my phone to call him and remember, mm. oh yeah, he's not here. And at the same time, I'm so grateful for the legacy that he left us. And God's sustaining grace has has been with us every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that testimony and that witness. You know, when we go through hard things, um, sometimes we just need to be reminded and hear that God is so good in the midst of hard things. God yes. is still who He says He is. He's faithful. Amen. And so um, thanks for being such an amazing witness of that as we're going to talk today in our conversation about the witness of the church. And I just yes. love that as you as one individual in the body of Christ and in the church are just declaring um, that witness uh, in, in your own life. And I think as leaders in the church today, that makes a huge difference. So thanks for being who you are and for, for doing that. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Mm. Well, Tara Beth, you were back, uh, you were here on Deeper Still, actually, I think it was in November. I didn't look up the date, but uh, we had the privilege of talking about your book, Emboldened, uh, which was all about what it looks like for women um, to be emboldened for the work of the kingdom. And I have to tell you that conversation that you and I had, I think is still our top downloaded episode. So uh, I know. So I think there are women out there that uh, need to hear that. And of course, I appreciate what you have to say 
way. So I will say to our listeners, if they hadn't listened to that message on season one of Deeper Still, go back and find that because it's a really important and valuable conversation. I think not only, Tara Beth, to hear a little bit more about your story as a woman in ministry, but just as people, um, as women find their gifts and navigate sometimes life in the church that, again, we're going to talk about today, I just found it to be a really helpful conversation. So I do hope that people will go back um, and listen to that conversation. We but had a lot of fun, didn't we? It was, did fun. It was fun. fun. It was fun. I felt like I was just sitting, sitting and having coffee with a dear friend, which is what you are, a dear friend. Yes. So it was just an easy conversation. I agree. I agree. And you know what else we said on that conversation is that um, – your new book, Radiant Church, was going to be releasing in just a couple of months. And I said, hey, whenever that book releases, how about you come back <laughs> and talk about Radiant Church? And you were like, okay, let's do it. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, a few months, it released in February. And so now a couple of months later, we're able to uh, sit and talk about this book and just in another important conversation. And so, Tara Beth, I would love it if you could kick us off um, today by telling us a little bit more about what motivated you to write. Uh, Right, Radiant Church. Yeah. You know, so similar to Emboldened, um, I wrote with a burden for the church. You know, when I wrote Emboldened, for example, I had a burden that the church was not living into her fullness. I wanted to see women and men in partnership. And Radiant Church came out of a similar burden. Uh, uh, burden. Excuse me. <laughs> Radiant Church came out of a similar burden. I uh, was pastoring in Southern California, and it just seemed like we were seeing the name evangelicals all over the news, clearly in a way because it has become politicized. But we were also seeing a lot of news about the church. There were moral failures with pastors. There was a lot of confusion with Christians' participation in politics. Um, and our engagement with with politics, a lot of confusion with our engagement and conversations on race um, or nationalism, just like really like hairy topics. And Christians were all over the place with their engagement and it and oftentimes in polarizing extremes. Yes. And there wasn't a lot of grace or love at the table or uh, these these conversations were not drenched um, with, with grace and love, but instead there was just a lot of finger pointing and vitriol. And for me, what was at stake was the witness of the church, because at the center of a lot of this controversy was the church. And you see, we as the people of God are called to bear witness to the goodness of God. We are called to bear witness to the love of God. We are called to bear witness to the, 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 the grace of God and the hospitality of God. And we are called to reflect Jesus. That's what our witness is. And so I think maybe it'd be helpful. Like when I say the word witness, I'm not talking about like going out in street evangelism. Um, what I, what I mean when I say the word witness is what people see when they look at us, what are we bearing witness to and for? And around 2016, 2017, for me as a pastor, my heart was burdened because I thought, my goodness, the world is looking at us and I don't think they're they're being drawn to us. I think that that they are walking away because they are sad and disheartened by what they see in us. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was um, you who said this or another conversation that I was in, but it's interesting that you uh, said that you started to have this burden back in 2016. And now fast forward to 2020, when it feels like everything just got heightened, everything you just talked about, just, you know, COVID raised, uh, raised the bar on all of those things. And it's interesting to me because I was, oh, I was talking to someone who said, you know, as a pastor preaching that they've had people walk out of sermons, you know, mm -hmm. on either side. And one of the yes. burdens of, of uh, the church and church leaders right now is that everything you say, um, and not just, this could also include uh, our listeners, when everything you say is either too much for one side or not enough for another side. And so it does get muddled really fast. And so I say all of that just to say everything you're saying right now, I think we've felt at an elevated level in the last year and a year plus. That's right. That's right. I had no idea when I started writing the book in 2017 that it would be released in February of 2020, say 
you know, four weeks after the Capitol was stormed, mm-hmm. um, weeks after our country was maybe more polarized than ever, um, you know, around, you know, within the same 12 months that pastors were walking away from ministry because the context was so brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it was released in the middle of that. And I, in hindsight, had it been released in 2017, I don't know that people would have been ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I'm grateful that it was released when it was. Isn't that interesting? God knew yes. <laughs> exactly when this book needed to yep. um, step into the world. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, Terabeth, who did you write this book for? I wrote this book for Christians um, and a very um, particular Christian, you know, because that's a broad thing. We are a global church. And so this book is not going to make a lot of sense for, say, someone in a different context on the other side of the globe, only because a lot of the issues that I raise are pointed at the church within the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And in particular, now, if we were to drill down even more, um, I am a daughter or a child of white evangelicalism. What do I mean by that? I mean the churches that I have typically pastored in, the church that I was born into, the church um, that I you know, have, have been a part of for decades um, is something called evangelicalism, and um, it is a oftentimes very white churches. And so I'm writing to that context because that's what I know. And at the premise of the book, I call these Christians and I say, it is time that we come together and instead of pointing the fingers outward, let's point the finger at ourselves. And so I was very specific to writing to that context because I was calling us, um, and I say us because I've been a part of, of this white evangelicalism, I was calling us to come to our knees and do this this important process or spiritual practice of examination and looking within ourselves and ourselves asking the question, what have we done to create this diminished witness of the bride of Christ? Yes. And, you know, I have to say, I love that because You know, it's like when you're sitting next to your spouse listening to a sermon and the pastor says something that uh, you think the other person needs to hear. And so you're nudging them when really, you know, it's like you're blind to the fact that you need to hear the same message. And so when I was reading this and I read your words, you say, maybe it's time to look in the mirror to examine our hearts and ask the Lord to show us where we've fallen short, confess, lament, and repent. Yes. And I, who have also grown up in very similar church experiences to you, my heart broke and I was so convicted when I read that sentence because it is so easy for us to look outside the church and not turn the mirror on ourselves and say, how have I contributed to this? That's right. A lot of the, the polarization that we're seeing right now, and of course, like, by the way, like a lot of it, you know, at, at the root of it, there's so much that can be unpacked on on any side of the conversation. But right now what we're seeing and, and specifically with the church is a lot of finger pointing. Yes. You know, the world wouldn't be this way if it weren't for those people or if it weren't for, I'm just going to go through a list I sometimes hear, those millennials, those Gen Zers, those baby boomers, those Gen Xers, or those uh, Christian Democrats, or those Christian Republicans, or those liberals, or those who are Marxists, or those, it's always those people. And never do I hear, you know what, maybe we've played a part. Mm. And maybe it's time we stop saying those people and we say us. Yes. Yes. Because that changes that changes everything when we can start mm-hmm. doing that. Yes. Yeah. So Tara Beth, before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge, and you actually acknowledge this uh, from the start in your book as well, that there are parts of the book and there are parts of this conversation and maybe even parts of this conversation that we've already had. Maybe we've said some trigger words. Maybe, maybe people are starting to think, oh no, are they going to go down this road or that road? There are some things that are uncomfortable (laughs) about what you say in your book, as well as what we are going to say in this conversation. And I want you to just address that 
for a minute. What are some of those things and why do you think, why do you think they make us squirm and why are you okay with that? Yep. Great question. Yeah. So for me, I just want to say, yes, there are some landmines, but I, I just want to acknowledge from the start, like where, where am I, I working these ideas out? Where is it coming from? Something that's really, really important to me and something that I push up against a lot in the writing is that these are not ideas that are worked out from a particular ideology. Uh, these are not ideas that are worked out from a particular language that we hear in the right or the left media. One of the things that I try to do with great fear and trembling and also acknowledge uh, just as I'm pointing the finger, um, I acknowledge that, that that I may not get it right, but I'm wanting to work this out with great fear mm-hmm. and trembling because our witness at stake. So where, what am I working this out of? I, I, I'm working out of trying to have these conversations about race, about politics, about um, about our, our, our Christian witness, um, about um, a lot of these moral failures that we're seeing about how we have, I'm working out of, of seeing how do we have these conversations with Jesus at the center? Mm-hmm. You know, so if Jesus is at the center of our lives, if we claim that, then how do we view, say, nationalism? Okay. Um, nationalism in a lot of ways uh, can and has um, become idolatrous. And what I mean by that is is this deep belief. Now, I'm going to talk slowly here because I want folks <laughs> to walk with me. Don't turn off the podcast just yet. That's right. What I, what I want to say here is this belief that the kingdom of God is going to be enacted through a particular nation state. So this is not just a problem that we see in America, though, yes, this is where I'm pointing the finger. The kingdom of God, when you get into scripture, is inaugurated through one and one alone, and that is King Jesus. And those who live under the reign and rule of King Jesus as God's kingdom people and our participation of God's work in this world is where we see the kingdom of God inaugurated. And a lot of times in these conversations about nationalism, this nation state or political ideas or ideologies or a president's agenda is elevated above the agenda of the Lamb. And that is my concern, and that is what I'm pushing up against. Uh, let's talk about another one. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about racism, and oftentimes with these conversations, um, as soon and by the way, as soon as I hear that word, people are already, you know, are, are turning this off because this is so politically charged. Yes. But how can we talk about this through the lens of Jesus being at the center of us being kingdom people, and for those of us who come from white evangelicalism, what can we do to say, how can I learn? How can I listen? How can I understand history a little bit better? How can I, how can I zoom out instead of seeing this myopically, instead of seeing this through the lens of, well, I, I personally, like, I know I'm not a racist, like, that's not what I'm talking about. But how can we look at this and say, there is a people group um, in our country um, that has had it a lot harder than me or than we have? And what can we do as Christ followers to bear the image and goodness of God, to bear the witness of the goodness of God? And what can we do to be bridge builders instead of pointing fingers? Yes. Yes. Well, and I love that you pointed out that we need safe places to have these conversations because I think all of us are wrestling with it at some level or another. And many times we are getting, we're scared to say some of the things that you're saying, or even to, to enter into those conversations to say, I do need to learn more about Mm -hmm. some of these things. I do. I I really do want to understand what does systemic racism Mm -hmm. mean Mm -hmm. and what, um, what are people saying and what, what experiences do I need to listen to more of so that I can sort this out and we can talk about it together? Because Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that happened in this polarized world that we live in is the minute someone says any one of the words that we have just been saying, it's like, we want to shut down. That's right. But we've, we've got to push in and enter the conversation for the sake of 
the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our witness as a church, because people look at us and say, well, if they're fighting within themselves, Mm -hmm. then that's not a place that I really want to be part of. And so it comes back to that witness that you were talking about being an attractive witness is part of how we love um, one another and live out our kingdom values in this world. That's right. That's right. And, and come as learners. Yes. I just, you know, heard this amazing uh, testimony of a of a woman that's doing a lot of research on churches that are flourishing and growing in the United States. And this was actually a conversation with Fuller Seminary. And she she said that in her research, she she discovered a church near San Diego that, you know, was growing exponentially by the thousands. And she said the one marker that she noticed about that church and that they talk about a lot is that they were a culture of learners, mm. that it was a church that that understood that they had much to learn, much to grow. And as learners, that that was lived out in their neighborhoods and with their friends and in their social media and in their workplaces, instead of coming at this, you know, from the top down, um, you know, hitting people over the head with their own ideas, instead entering in with the love of God and saying, there's got to be something I can learn from this conversation. And sure enough, like there always is. Yeah, absolutely. I had the opportunity to be part of, um, over this last year, uh, what we as a church have called our redemptive um, discernment team. And I've gotten to have conversations and to put myself in that posture of listening in ways that I have never had the opportunity to do Mm. before. And I've learned so much and God has changed my heart in so many ways and given me so many new perspectives because of that. It's like, sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. That's right. That's right. And humble ourselves to experience or not experience, but to, to really um, try to understand the experiences of people that aren't like ours. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I think the other thing that is interesting about this context is that, You know, we've talked about this on the podcast. It keeps, it's kind of a recurring theme that keeps coming up is how difficult it is to have conversations that center on things that don't include a political framework, that don't Mm -hmm. include some of these ideologies that you've been talking about. So often we just get um, tripped up in those and it's like, we can't see what is the way of Jesus in this. So I so appreciate that you're saying, you know, you, you, and you do this throughout your book, you lead us into the story of the biblical narrative that says, Mm -hmm. you know what, there was a political framework happening in the New Testament. People thought (laughs) that their leader was going to look a certain way, and it turns out God turned that whole thing upside down. That's right. We are so entrenched. It's the water we are swimming in. Mm. We are so entrenched in these political buzzwords um, or language or frameworks that we cannot even see that we're swimming in it and we cannot even see it through a different lens. Um, It's we're just so caged up. And I believe what Jesus is calling us to is to be in this world and not of it and to rid ourselves of these frameworks and embrace the way of the kingdom, embrace the agenda of the lamb, embrace that Jesus is Lord, that Caesar is not, embrace that the kingdom of God is being inaugurated through King Jesus and our participation in it, and boldly lean into that, boldly declare it, boldly lay down our idols of ideology in these political frameworks. And I believe that when we can do that and take and live the way of Jesus of listening, learning, confessing, examining, and repenting, we will see revival in our Mm. country in ways that we've all dreamed of and better than that. Mm, May it be so. May it be so. So one of the things that you also talk about in the book are just um, some ways that the popular understanding within evangelicalism of things like salvation uh, things like our vision of heaven as this distant place that when we we go to when we die, that those kind of thinking actually diminish the witness of the church. Right. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So when you read the the story of God, and I, I'm talking about the story of God beginning in Genesis, um, and and culminating in the person of Jesus, and then we see just this 
grand promise at the end in Revelation. When you read through the story of God, what you discover is that it is a story about a God and God's people and God's purposes um, being unleashed in the power of God through God's people in this world. And so when we read through the covenant, for example, um, beginning, let's begin with Abram. Um, God makes this promise that he will be a God and they will be his people and that God's purposes um, and blessings will be blessed through a people. We see this calling for there to be a holy people and a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And these and, and these people are to live out God's ways in such a way that the world will look and say, oh, by the way that this, these people are living, we should be able to see what God is like. Mm-hmm. Now, oftentimes, the story that we um, tell and the story that I grew up in my youth is um, that, well, the people in the Old Testament tried to earn their salvation. They tried to earn their way to God. They couldn't, so we had to send Jesus. But actually, what we see instead is the Old Testament actually culminating in the person of Jesus, that yes, God's covenant people absolutely did fall short. And yes, we see Jesus entering into human history. And what we see as Jesus enters into human history is this idea of a covenant people is now expanded to include Gentile. It's now expanded to uh, include all people instead of just ethnic Israel. And so now this call to be a royal priesthood, as Peter talks about, to be a holy nation, as Peter talks about, um, to be to be a people, as Peter talks about, to live in such a way that the world would take notice and see what God is like. Now we are included in this call. Or another way to put it is we are the stars in the sky. And so one of the things that's happened in evangelicalism is we have reduced this gospel to about me and God, about the things that I need to do um, in order to enter in heaven. And so we talk about salvation as being, you know, experiencing something, you know, opening up my life to God and um, accepting Jesus into my heart. And by the way, these are all good things. It's just part of the story. Um, Accepting Jesus into my heart so that someday I can enter into heaven. And then we view church as going to fill our own personal gas tanks. We view reading the Bible as filling our own personal gas tanks. And we view all that we do through the lens of an individual so I can be a good Christian. And that is just a sliver of the story. Mm. Because actually what this is all about, it's about a king and a king's people. It's not about entering into the kingdom of God someday, but it's about being a people on our knees, praying that thy kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, they will be done in Oak Brook as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, they will be done in Butterfield as it is in heaven, at Christ Church as it is in heaven. In other words, we aren't waiting for the goodness of the kingdom of God someday to experience as an individual, but in the ways that we do life together, in ways that we do our gathering together, in the ways that we do our service together, in the ways that we do our worshiping together, we are a foretaste to the kingdom of God in a weary world. Mm. Sorry, I get so preachy, Sue Ann. I was just going to say, you know, Tara Beth, you should be a preacher. Has anybody ever mentioned that to you before? I just get so excited about this and this awesome call that just we have as a people. I don't go to church for me. I go to church. I mean, yes, it's for me, but, but, but we need to show up for each other. This thing that we do on Sunday mornings isn't about, about filling my tank. It's not about me getting filled by a pastor sermon. And we hear this all over the place, like, oh, I just wasn't getting filled. The, the pastor just wasn't, you know, doing it for me. That's not why we go. Mm-hmm. We're going so that way when when the person sitting next to me is is too is grieving and too weak to pray that that when we pray, we are we are standing in the gap and we are praying on their behalf. That when they are too weak to sing, that we are singing, that our singing will edify and encourage them so that when we leave the place, our witness is brighter. Yes. And how many people do you think walk into church on a Sunday morning thinking that that's what they're doing? Oh, very few. Mm. Very few. And, you know, and for me as a pastor, like, I don't say that in a judgmental way. 
I say that in an empathetic way. I say that in a burdened way. I say that in a way where I just, I want to come alongside and with our people and help us move from a very anemic theology of what it means to be a Christian to a robust one of what it means to be a holy people of God. Yes. And when I hear you saying that, I don't hear judgment. I hear passion and love and this this vision yes. of all of the things that God has for us that we might be missing out on by yeah. just walking in the church thinking, I'm just, I hope they sing the right song. That's right. There is so much more that God has for us. And I think we we know that, we intrinsically yeah. know it, we feel it, but maybe we don't have language to articulate that. Right. And what I hear you doing is giving people the language to articulate there's got to be more than just this. Well, that's because there is so much more yes. that the church is about that's than right. just whether I like the sermon today or not. That's right. And that is the that is the kingdom framework that I'm working off with this entire book. That we that what we do as a people we are to be a foretaste of what's to come. So when we mm-hmm. read in Revelation chapter 21 and we see a world of no more sorrow, we see a world of no more injustice, we see a world of no more pain, and we could continue on. We see a world of no more racism. We see a world of no more, you know, everyone out for themselves, a world of no more, you know, hyper-nationalism. But no what more we see, parties. No more political parties. What we see is, is, a, is, is a holy, beautiful, worshiping community. Mm-hmm. And we don't just say, well, you know, that's, someday. And so we're just going to, you know, it's going to be different here. We actually, as a people ought to say, if you're telling me that's what the future is like, then we as a people of God right Mm -hmm. now are going to do what we can here and now on earth as it is in heaven to give the world a foretaste of a world of no more sorrow, to give the world a foretaste of no more injustice, to give the world a foretaste of of no more polarization, and to give the world a foretaste of no more racism, and on and on and on, that we are going to be a people that declare that and live that and embody it. Yes, sign me up. Sign me up for that kind of people. (laughs) You know, you often in the book, you say um, you called an alternative community. Yes. Everything you're describing right now, because everything you're describing around does not exist outside of the church. The church is the one place where this can be a reality. Our world is not going to offer what the church of Jesus Christ has to offer. And you say when the people of God flourish, the light shines bright, the stars in the sky, right? They shine bright and the world takes notice Mm -hmm. of the beauty of this alternative community because they're not going to find it anywhere else. Yes. Yes. It's so important that we view this as an alternative, um, especially, especially, especially in this context, in this polarized world. Uh, Because right now when Oftentimes when we are listening to one another, um, we are listening for certain phrases or buzzwords to try to figure out where they land politically. Mm. And I recognize that as a pastor, that when I preach, when I talk in a podcast, there might be a, a, a word that I say that they might just shut me down immediately and be like, oh, she clearly voted for so-and-so. Therefore, she is dangerous and that is dangerous. Um, I'm actually calling us towards what, um, uh, you know, Dan Meyer has often called our, our senior pastor for those who go, who don't attend Christ church. Um, Dan is our, our senior pastor and he's done some sermon series and uses this language called a third way. Mm. In other words, we want to find an alternative way to talk about this. We want to find a third way to live about this, that we are in the world, that we are not of it, that we, we want, we, we understand that this is complex. We understand that there are nuances but we want to live in such a way that the world says that's different. I see the love of God and that the world is drawn to the love of God and that knees would bow and tongues would confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the other ways you communicate in this book, and it's it's not necessarily saying something different than we already have been saying, but I think it's another way to get at it that I think might help people just as they continue to grasp this vision is uh, you talk about the stories that we root ourselves in. Yes. Uh, We all live in a story, you say, and the kind of story that we choose to live in, it shapes our character, it shapes our purpose, it shapes our vision for the future. I will add, it shapes how we raise our children. It shapes how we spend our money. Mm -hmm. It shapes how we invest our time. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
there is a story that Christians have rooted themselves in throughout history. And at times they've rooted themselves in the wrong story. And sometimes today we root ourselves in the wrong story. You say it's possible to believe in Jesus Mm -hmm. and still be rooted in the wrong story. So share a little bit more about what some of those stories are. We've already talked about some of them, but you you have some really great language in the book that I want people to hear about these stories. And what is at stake when we root ourselves in the wrong one? Yes, so much is at stake because, as you said, you know, there's there's profound ripple effects. It impacts how we raise our kids, finances, how we view ourselves, how we view sexuality, how we view, um, you know, just our engagement in, in difficult things in this world. So this is so important, and there are so many competing storylines in this world, and oftentimes. Um, we don't know that. We don't know the stories that we are swimming in. We don't know the narratives or the frameworks that have shaped us and formed us. And oftentimes we hitch that to a very American understanding of Christianity. And what we what, what the call in this book is to root ourselves um, in a story that is rooted in scripture and the story of God that culminates in Jesus. So some of these competing storylines um, that we've rooted ourselves in, for example, is, we talked about it, individualism, that my faith is about me, myself, and I, and me alone. Uh, some of these other storylines that we talked about are, you know, just this idea that the kingdom of God will be inaugurated um, through the political sphere. Um, and so, you know, some of the, some of these others, um, and you know, I can't remember what I wrote about, but I think there were some other. <laughs> well, you talk quite a bit about success. Yeah. And I think thank you. that was a really great one, especially in our context in the Western suburbs, because this is a big one. This is a big one. We bow down to the altar of a worldly idea of success and Sue Ann, I will be the first to stand up, raise my hand, jump up and down and say, that's me. Mm. Um, I will be the first to say, this is this is a struggle for me that, that the Lord is constantly chiseling away. But we, you know, the way that we talk about metrics, the way that we measure or um, the way that we celebrate wins in ministry is often more reflective of winds of the world than of the kingdom and what we read about in scripture. Mm-hmm. And this is hard. This is really hard, especially for those of us who've grown up in a context where, you know, we're go-getters and we go after it. And um, and that's not all bad. It's just, it's, it's what's at the altar, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we bowing down to? Yes. Are we bowing down sometimes this call to live in an upside down way, or are we bowing down to getting the wins no matter what the cost? Are yes. we choosing um, success over and against faithfulness, or are we choosing faithfulness even um, if that means at the expense of success? Yeah. Well, and we see that inside the church walls a lot because one of the first things that we want to measure, because it's measurable, how many people came, right? How many people showed up at worship? How many people came to this event? How many people are in your small group? How many, you know, and we can translate that into all kinds of contexts outside of the church of how we measure stuff. Because guess what? When you're trying to measure someone's character, when you're trying to measure, does someone know God more? Has someone has someone moved down the path and is being transformed more into the yep. image of Christ? You can, there's no metric for there's that. No metric. It all comes back to how we live. And so that's why yeah. what you're saying is so important because it's not, am I going to go to heaven when I die? It's if I believe that these things are actually true about Jesus being the king yes. that whose, whose reign I submit to, yeah. Then how does it change the way I live? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's of course like I'm not like saying, and for those of you who are like, wait, is she saying we shouldn't measure and we shouldn't count? No, 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 no. 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 Um, you know, it's you know, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's I just want us to be cautious and careful of what we constantly celebrate and the tell us or the prize or the goal that we are always chasing after. Uh, And and we ought to pay attention to that because that is going to impact our philosophy of ministry. It's going to impact our philosophy of this Christian life or this life. Yeah. And I think one place that is really easy to check our souls on that for those of us who are parents and as we parent our children and what we are pushing them to and we say, oh, it's about your character. Mm-hmm. It is about, 
you know, we want, we want them to be, uh, and these are my air quotes, good people. Um, try your best. Yeah. But make sure that you get a 1600 on your SATs and get into the best colleges and, you know, all of those things. And so it's easier said than done sometimes because, um, when we don't have some of those tangible achievements or measure measure uh, metrics, um, it's hard to then validate that we are, uh, good enough that we are competent, that we are all of those things. So we pit our children up against one another at times to compete and they become our trophies. And um, it is real. And as one who's raising two boys in the Western suburbs of Chicago, I feel it deeply. Yes. Yeah. We got to constantly check ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's why this message is is so good Mm -hmm. um, for all of us today. The other thing, and we don't have time to talk about this. I just want to point it out because I want people to... um, check this out when they read the book, but you talk about our distorted images of God that go yes. along with us. And you say, you know, sometimes we say, uh, sometimes we might have an image of God that he's the distant God that sits in the armchair and is just kind of up there clicking buttons while the world is going on. The punisher God, who's just mm-hmm. waiting for us to make mistakes. The Santa Claus God, who's just, you know, there to give us whatever we want. Yeah. And then when we don't get what we want, you know, we're not happy with him. You talk about God, the nationalist, this political framework, the ticket to God, ticket yeah. to heaven, God, like, yes. let me just punch my ticket. So yeah. I'm in and then, Hey, uh, this was my favorite. It's cool. God. Hey, it's cool. Yeah. Like, Hey, do, do whatever you want. God yeah. loves me. It's grace. It's, God hey, loves it's cool. everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the party. Which, by the way, yes, the, God does love everybody. Of course. <laughs> Uh, th- I think it's uh, God loves everybody. Therefore, I have a license to do whatever I yeah, want. Yeah. I think that was the, and then the party pooper God, which cracked me up because, you know, it's like, don't let your kid, don't let kids run in church. Don't make yeah. too much noise. Don't, yeah. you know, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> All of those things. So I just, I wish we had time to unpack that a little bit more. If you want to comment on that, please do. But I just thought, those were so compelling and tangible and a great way to clearly see maybe where some of our stories are off and maybe where we need to correct them. Exactly. You know, we could talk about, you know, it's just, just worship God, just worship God. It's, it's all about Jesus. Well, what God and what Jesus are you talking about here? Mm -hmm. Because we're all working off a lot of very different ideas that are not rooted in scripture. Right. Right. So Tara Beth, um, what, does it look like for a church who is rooted in the right story? Yeah. Yeah. You can taste the kingdom of God. You see it, you experience it. It is a, uh, to borrow, you know, language from Scott McKnight's awesome book, a church called Tove. Mm -hmm. It is a church that reflects the goodness that there is something distinct. They have a distinct way of living that is different and that is reflective of the heart and the love of God. They love God. They love people. They are in the world in the way they love people, um, but they are not being formed by the world around them. They are being formed by the goodness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they are doing it in a way that those in the neighborhood want to be a part of it and they want to get to know that Jesus. That's right. That's right. So let's get practical here for a minute. Uh, And I had to crack up because you tell a story in your book about um, doing the Chicago triathlon and being a competitive swimmer who now signed up for the Chicago triathlon. And I have to say, I'm reading your story and I'm laughing out loud because I wasn't a competitive swimmer, but I've been a competitive athlete my whole life. And I had the 100% exact same experience as you had (laughs) starting jumping into the waters of Lake Michigan for your first triathlon. And so um, tying that in, because I think that that helps that picture of what it means as believers to practice our faith. Yep. Um, give us some practical handles. And I want you to tell that story on yeah. what a radiant church looks like. What do we do? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, um, once upon a time, used to do a lot of triathlons and hope to get back into them again someday. But uh, 2012, maybe it was 2014. I don't remember uh, the year that I did my, well, I guess it was before, before 2010, actually, before I had kids. It was 2009. Okay. 2009. (laughs) Everything's the the, the 2000s is just a blur. Um, That's right. (laughs) I'm almost 40, Suzanne. 
Um, and so in the, you know, 2009, I did my very first triathlon. I figured I'm a swimmer. I could learn how to run and bike. So I got this. So I trained and trained and trained. And my friend kept telling me like, you need to train like in like Michigan, but I found out too late. And so when, when the triathlon came, like, oh my goodness, I got in that water and the swells, it was like swimming up and down a roller coaster. You know, the swells would go up and all of a sudden I'm like swimming uphill and then I'm swimming downhill and then I'm like being pushed towards the wall and I'm being pushed out towards the middle of Lake Michigan and there's people crawling all over me. And so what I learned is the critical nature of training for raging waters, for a a challenging context. And we live as Christians in a context that is turbulent and that is challenging and that is difficult. And we need to adjust our practices for this challenging context. In other words, we can't just practice in a swimming pool and then enter out into the raging waters and think that the practices that we're doing are going to work. But we have to adjust our practices. And some of the practices that I suggest that we adjust and take more seriously in addition to, of course, personal Bible study, prayer, um, corporate worship, in addition to those things, I think that we need to elevate the practices of listening uh, to one another. We need to elevate the practices of corporate examination, of, of that introspection of Lord search my heart and elevate the practices of eating together at a gathered table um, with not just people who are like us, but people who are not like us and break bread and listen and hear stories. Uh, these are practices that must be elevated for turbulent times uh, mm-hmm. because when we can elevate those practices, uh, we are formed and ready for these difficult waters that we are currently um, living in. Mm. It's so good because especially in our context, and of course there are people listening who live in all different contexts across the country, but here in the western suburbs of Chicago, specifically where our church is at, it is really easy to stay in our nice, clean, serene swimming pools. And and I say this to myself, this is me putting the mirror back on my face, um, and just keep swimming in nice warm water and not pushing ourselves outside to other contexts. Yes. And, and in this area, especially, we have to be really intentional. That's not going to find us. Those challenging waters are not going to find us. We actually have to be intentional and go looking for them and place ourselves in situations. It's going to be uncomfortable. We're going to get pushed against the wall. We're going to have people climbing over top of us and feeling like we can't breathe because we're drowning. That's right. But it's so worth it. I was just talking to one of the women in our ministry who uh, leads our holy yoga, and she was talking about um, some of these exact things. She got pushed outside of her comfort zone, comfort zone to serve one of our mission partners in the city. And mm. and she was just sharing with me how it's changed her life. It, it, yes. is, it has changed so much about how she views yes. the world. And I just think there's nothing that can replace those kinds of practices right. and experiences, but we, we can't stay in our swimming pool. We've got yep. to go. We've got to go look at them. That's look right. For we, them. That's right. We've got to be in proximity um, in context yes. and with people that we've not otherwise been in proximity with. That's um, right. Because my goodness, it's an amazing formational mm. process. And we think that we are going or, you know, if we're say, for example, going to serve, we think we're going, you know, for ourselves or we think, or I'm sorry, we think we're going to bless them. And what we learn is, wow, we are blessed and we yes. learn and we discover and we grow. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable to that one because I definitely need to do better. So you, you help me get out of my own swimming pool. Okay. Let's be in this together. That's right. That's right. Uh, Tara Beth. So last question. Um, why do you still believe in the church today, in spite everything you've been through, you've walked through as a female, as a pastor, as a person, uh, through COVID, all of these things, your heart still beats and bleeds for the local church. Yeah. Tell me why you still believe what you believe. I believe in the church because I believe in Jesus. Um mm. 
I believe in the vision that Jesus gives us. I believe in the promises of Jesus that the gates of hell will not prevail. I believe in how this is lived out as we see written from the apostles and the epistles um, that we are called to be a holy and radiant church. I believe in the church because when I read through scriptures, I see that they had a whole lot of problems too, um, that there were issues that they too had to work out, and yet they hung on to one another. They lived faithfulness and they practiced faithfulness. And I believe in the church because I believe in the vision that Jesus calls. You know, when Jesus prayed in the garden uh, for the future believers, he didn't pray, you know what, someday it's just going to go all to hell in a handbasket, so give up. (laughs) But he actually prayed for us because he actually believed in this vision and he believes in us because of the power of the Spirit in us. So I believe in the church because I believe in Jesus. Amen. Well, my friend, that is a good word to leave us on today. So thank you so much for being here with us today. You're a voice. I've said this before. I will say it again. You're a voice our church needs. I'm so glad to um, link arms with you and to be able to serve God together in our context. So um, thanks so much for being here, my friend. Likewise. It was a joy. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining our conversation today. As I said at the top of the podcast, I know we've given you a lot to think about. Maybe some of it has been challenging. Maybe some of it has been empowering. But hopefully, I hope and I pray that it's been a good opportunity to ponder, to think, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to consider what story we rooted ourselves in today. And to have that deeper still moment. I know I had it today where I just want to humbly ask God how I might root myself more deeply in His story and maybe how you can do that too so we can together, as Tara Best said, shine brightly as lights of God's love and grace in a world today that frankly could use a little more love and hope and a little more Jesus. Hey, you can find Tara Best's book, Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness, published by our friends at InterVarsity Press on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Also, be sure to be on the lookout for her new devotional, 40 Days on Being an Enneagram Six, which is set to come out later this month. As always, be sure to follow Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform or by visiting Christchurch.us forward slash women and be sure to share Deeper Still with all of your friends. We'll be back here in two weeks with my dear friend Rebecca Wells, the founder of Ian's Place, as she shares her journey of grief as a parent who has suffered and survived the loss of a child as well as how God is working in her life to bring hope and healing for other grieving parents. It's a conversation you won't want to miss, so be sure to come back and tune in. Until then, have an amazing day because you are amazing. Go in God's grace and His peace. Don't forget to challenge yourself. Go deeper still, and we'll see you back here again real soon.